I was, uh, I was 17. It was a church summer camp. I think it was like the third night. Uh, and suddenly I realized my desperate need for Jesus. Like, I, I felt uh, burdened with my sin. I felt scared uh, of dying. Uh, I felt uh, that I desperately needed a Savior, I need, and I knew that Jesus was that Savior. And I, I, ta- I remember going and talking to one of the youth staff and, uh, and asking them, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to, 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 to be saved? And, and so we talked about confession, and we talked about believing, and we prayed. And since then, the trajectory of my life has changed, like forever. It's, it's completely changed. But I've had a chance, uh, you know, it's been years since then. I've had a chance to look back at that time. Uh, and in my studies, uh, I think about that time. And I think about what it is that I received. And in conversations with people since then, especially with, with people that are close friends, my, my relatives that don't know Jesus, uh, they ask questions, we, we get to talk about uh, faith, we get to talk about the Lord, uh, I get to witness, I get to testify to what happened to me that night and tell my story, and inevitably what in, ends up happening is people will say, well, then what, what is it that you're trying to sell? <laughs> what, what is it that you received, and what is it that I would receive if I did the same thing? What do we receive when we believe and we confess? And I think that this has become a very complicated thing in the church. Something that you would hear a different answer from one person to the next when you ask them that question. When I came to know the Lord, did I receive the power to be and to do everything that I wanted to be and to do? Did I receive the ticket to health and wealth by faith and through God's grace, did I receive everything that I wanted? All my desires, all my dreams come true happily ever after. You know what I got and what you get as believers through faith and by God's grace? It's Jesus. It's very simple. It's Jesus. We get Jesus. And when we have Jesus, we have everything. This is what we get to talk about this morning. We're in the letter or in the book of Colossians, and we cracked into chapter two last week, and Pastor Scott, he did a great job uh, of leading us through uh, growing in our faith uh, together. And Paul continues this week, uh, and he's wanting to encourage believers, all believers in our faith, and for us to grow in that faith. And that what we have received from God, Jesus, that we are to stay that course. We're to stay that course. When we have Jesus, we have the real thing. He is authentically all-sufficient, and with him, we have everything. And Paul is saying, then go with that. Keep going with that. Continue with him. As you've received Jesus, then continue to walk in Jesus. And we'll spend the rest of our time unpacking that uh, and what that looks like for us. We're going to take our time with these two verses. We're going to slow down because uh, there's honestly, there's a lot, there's a lot there. And when we understand and when we grasp these two verses, we begin to understand and grasp really the whole message, the whole idea of the entire letter of Colossians. It's verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2. 
It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me pray for us and we're going to dig in. Father, uh, we come before you, people in need, and you have provided everything that we need. Everything that we need, you have given to us. And there is nothing more than you've given to us than Jesus. And Jesus, you gave yourself for us, and we welcome you here. We want you here. We need you here. We ask that you teach us and you guide us this morning into your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. So the very first thing that we come to in verse 6 is therefore. Therefore. Right? And whenever we come to the word therefore, what do we ask? What is it therefore, right? In light of everything that Paul has established in chapter 1 and beginning in chapter 2, to have Jesus means that we have everything. He is God's image. He is God's wisdom. He is God's mystery. And in him, all things hold together. He is the, the fullness of God. And by him, all things are reconciled. When we have Jesus, we have everything. So in light of that, or therefore, Paul says, continue with that. Continue with that. Walk in him, just as we've received him. Now that word walk, it literally means to walk, okay? But the way that Paul uses walk in, in, the, in, in the, the Jewish mind, that word walk really is, is to live according uh, to an ethical conduct. That's the reason that this word walk has also been translated in other versions of the Bible as continue to follow him or continue to live in him, specifically relating to continue to live according to a conduct that is appropriate for those who claim Jesus as Lord, so just as we've received Jesus, who is God's image and wisdom and mystery and all the fullness of deity dwells in him, then we're to go with that. Go with that. Keep going with him. Don't get distracted. Don't allow deception to sneak in there. Don't let pride creep in there. Don't tolerate anything that isn't the real thing, that isn't authentic. And here's the big idea. Not only is Jesus enough, he is enough for everything that we need. But Paul is calling all believers to this idea that when we have Jesus, and we do, we have Jesus, there is nowhere else for us to go. There's nowhere else for us to go. Where else can we go to get what we need? He's not just a source. Church, he's not just a source. He is the source. He is the source of our salvation. He is the source of our eternal life and resurrection. He is the source of our peace, both with God and of God. He is the source of our sanctification, our, our satisfaction, our, our enjoyment, our contentment. He's the source of our longing and our heart's desire. Where else could we go? There's nowhere else for us to go. And so we keep going with Jesus and in Jesus. And then he says we keep going with him the same way as we have received him. I think it's really good then for us to ask the question then, well, how did we receive him? Right? If, if we're supposed to continue in him the same way as we have received him, then how did we receive Jesus? Three things I want to point out in how we received Jesus that points to then how we are to continue in him. First of all, in the text, it's very clear. He uses the word 
Lord. We receive Jesus as Lord. And to receive him as Lord, okay, when, when the Colossians heard this, when this letter was, was read to them, they, they would have thought about their confession, their, their public declaration, a short little creed that the early church had, that they would say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And this would have been most likely been recited uh, and publicly spoken when they were baptized. Christ Jesus is Lord. Now, when a new believer did this in the early church, to declare that Jesus is Lord, this is a very daring thing. Now, this is a very courageous thing for them to do because the church in Colossae, in fact, the, church, uh, the churches everywhere in that region at this time were very much in a political sense, okay, in a political sense, belonging to and controlled by Rome. And all of it, everything that you could see, it all belonged to Caesar. And he was Lord, or we would say lowercase l, right? He's the lowercase l Lord over all of it. Now, for anyone in that region at that time, for them to publicly declare that someone else is Lord, well, that's a very serious thing. It's a very courageous thing for them to do. By saying this, you were communicating a very strong uh, level of commitment to the thing that you said because there was often consequences for this type of declaration. To say that not Caesar is Lord of my life, but that Jesus is Lord, and not just my Lord, but the Lord, the Lord over everything, well, then there was a strong possibility that it would not go well for you economically, socially, judicially, uh, even fatal consequences. And for them and for us, too, to receive Jesus as Lord is, is more than just declaring that he is the boss of my life. This title, Lord, it evokes the ancient Jewish title for God, which is Adonai. The Hebrews used this title for God instead of God's name, which he had uh, revealed to Moses in the burning bush, Yahweh. They didn't want to say that name. They didn't want to write that name down out of reverence. So instead of using God's name, they used God's title, Adonai, Lord. So to receive Christ Jesus as Lord is so much more than just inviting Jesus into my heart. To receive him as Lord means that we bow before him as master. We bow to Jesus as Lord over all other lords, and in him doing so, what we do is we submit to him. We submit to him. We, we bend our will to his. We surrender our wants, our desires. We surrender our priorities, even our lives. We surrender all of it. We give it all to Jesus for the sake of knowing him and having him as our Lord, as the Lord over our entire life, over our country, over our future, over our entire earth over the entire universe. He is Lord over all. And Paul is saying for those of you who have bent the knee, who have bowed before Jesus as Lord, as Master, as Sovereign, as Adonai, then continue with that and walk in submission to him. Just as you've received him as Lord, so Paul says to continue to walk in him in that way. The second way we receive Jesus, the Bible says that it was a gift. It was a gift of God to us, and that we are told that this gift is ours through faith. We are to continue to follow him the same way that we received him. We continue by faith. The human eye. The human eye uh, is incredible. I talked with one of you last week, last Sunday, about the human eye, and we were talking about the intricacies of it and the amazingness of it. Uh, and it, just to let you know, it just 
who, you know who you are. It led into this, this, this deep dive. I read so many articles this week about the human eye. It is fascinating. The eye is amazing. One of the things that the eye does is there is the lens and the shape of the, the lens and the way that God has designed the lens. The lens brings in everything that we see and projects it, in a way, onto the retina. And when it does, because of the shape of the lens, everything is upside down. You know about this? They've done studies about this. But the brain, in all of its amazingness, early on in life, and very quickly, it sees that the things that the eye is showing the brain, it sees that that is not the way the world really is. It sees that it's not accurate. And so what the brain does is it flips it. I love that. I love it because it reminds me of faith. This is what faith does. So often what we think that we see isn't actually how things are. Right? Many times what we see the world around us uh, is actually, it's actually upside down from the reality of the way that God has made it and the way that God is working in it. But by wisdom... Okay? And by his revelation to us, faith recognizes that things are not the way it appears. And so faith flips it. Faith helps to, us to see accurately. And that's the reason the Bible says that we are to walk, walk, the same word. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. And that is just one reason that we're to be in the word of God because faith always needs an object, something to put our faith in. In order for us to walk by faith and to see things accurately, we need an accurate object to put our faith in. And we need to know accurate information about the way that things really are and the way that the world really is and, and, and what it looks like and how to interpret it. And the only source that we can get is not from ourselves. We, the source of truth is not in us. It is not in our culture. It is not in this world. See, biblical faith is putting our trust in a truth that goes beyond our perceptions, goes beyond our own understandings, and, and beyond the way that we, that we experience the world with our five senses. The object of our faith is Jesus. And we need the Word of God to know Him and to know what He has to say. So we continue in Him by trusting in Him, and not how things may appear, but by faith. As we've received Christ as Lord, we continue to walk in him. There's no better word to describe how we received him and what we received from him than the word grace. God's unmerited favor to us, something that, that we don't deserve. This is how we came to know Jesus and to receive him as Lord. We are saved by grace. It is a gift, not by works, not by anything that we have done, not, not by anything that we can bring to the table. We got nothing to bring to the table. But here's what I know. I know that there is a temptation for many believers to believe that, yes, I was saved by grace, but that's pretty much where it ends. Here's what it looks like. That you and I are saved by grace, and then we find some other way to live out our daily walk 
with him. We find some other way to continue in this life. We find some other way to try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We, we find some other way to become more like Jesus and, and, be, and, and to be more the people that we need to be in the church that we need to be. We find some other way other than grace. Yes, we were saved by grace, that's fine, but let's, let's, let's find some other way. Let's, let's do some other thing. Let's figure it out on our own. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, that we currently stand. First Peter 5.12 says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. See, it's not just the entry method. Grace is not just the entry method into the Christian life. We are placed into a position of privilege before God. He brings us in by his grace. He brings us in close and brings us into a place of privilege. Peter goes on in his second epistle in chapter 3. He says we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. We're to grow in grace we're to grow in grace, not grow out of grace into some like what we would consider this, this higher standard or, or more efficient means of our growth and sanctification. No, live in it. Behold it. Carry around the, the grace of God with you like, a, like it's a treasure. We think about it and we, we remind ourselves about it and, and we remind others about it as well. We, we look for it in our circumstances. We look for it in our relationships. We learn about it and we see how it applies to every single moment of this life. And every time we think about God's grace, we thank him for his grace. See, to move away from grace uh, into a thinking that believes that the maintenance of our life is on us or that the moving toward God and becoming more like Jesus is only on us or that appeasing of God or making him happy is on us. This is a graceless life. And quite honestly, it's not biblical. It's not true. It's a teaching. It's a way of thinking that would distract us away from grace, away from the life-abundant walk and the position of privilege that we have in him to stand in him, to stand before him because of his grace. And really, the only way, it's the only way that we can continue to walk in him. It's the only way that we can continue to live in him and to follow him is it because of his grace. So as we've received Jesus as the Lord, by faith and in grace, we're to continue in that, to stick with Jesus and let, let nothing move us away from him or continue to live in him, to continue to follow him, continue to walk in him the same way in which we received him. And when we do, Paul says there are some things. He lists four of them. There are some things that happen as a result of walking in him. And they, they, they feed back into our walk and help support our walk as well. And we're going to take a brief look at each one. Let's go back to our text. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. First, it says, we will be rooted. This is the source of inspiration for the name of our series. Over the book of Colossians, it's rooted. 
trees have always been fascinating to me. The, everything about trees are, uh, are incredible. The more you learn about trees, the more you're amazed by trees. One of the amazing things about trees is their roots. A tree's roots will grow and continue to grow for the entire life of the tree, right? always expanding downward and always expand, expanding uh, outward in search of what the tree needs to, to reach for those things, to, to develop according to what the tree requires in order for it to survive. And one of the, three, one of the things that the tree depends on uh, for its roots for is, is to reach down deep into the soil and to reach the water and, to, and to, to get to the nutrients that it requires to survive. Trees like uh, the white oak, uh, this little guy right here, or the hickory tree is another example. Uh, they, they spend most of their, their first like, young life spending all their energy, all their resources into developing a deep root system to seek out and reach down deep for what it needs. does that because then come what may, right? The summer hits, the sun comes out, maybe a lack of rain, even drought. No matter what, the tree will not only survive, but it will thrive. Here's the adult version of that oak tree. Trees also have what's called lateral roots that reach out, they extend out. And one of the purposes for the lateral roots is it establishes the tree in the ground so the tree doesn't tip over, anchors it to the ground so that, come what may, right? Wind, rain, the storm hits, the tree is secure, immovable. Back in 2004, it was the day after Christmas, December 26th, if you remember, a tsunami hit Southeast Asia. There was, uh, there was an earthquake out in the Indian Ocean that disrupted tectonic plates uh, from a 9.1 earthquake. And what happened is that the, the, the movement of the plates uh, displaced the water out in the ocean. And the result is that tsunamis hit most of that area, and nothing got hit worse than the western coast of Sumatra. The waves that hit the western coast of Sumatra, the largest ones, were 100 feet tall, and they were traveling at 500 miles an hour. And the destruction was utter. I went there early in 2005 to help with the relief uh, and, the re and eventually the rebuilding of Sumatra, or at least the western coast of it. And the wave, when it hit, it took ships giant ocean ships, it brought them in like four and a half miles inland. It destroyed, it flattened neighborhoods even three miles in. It changed the coastline. It took semi-trucks and it rolled them into metal balls that were unrecognizable. Uh, it took rebar and wrapped them around foundations that the, the wave had ripped out of the ground. Here's a before and after picture. I don't know if you can see it or not. The before is on the top, this is one neighborhood, and the after is on the bottom. There was carnage and there was wreckage, but there was something that you would see all the time in the midst of it. There was something you would see all the time, all over the place. <laughs> Come what may.
wind, rain, storms, even 100-foot waves travel at 500 miles an hour, right? When our roots are established, we are immovable, unshakable in this life. Just as trees are rooted in the earth, and they are alive and fed and secure, then believers are to be rooted in Christ. Our taproot has only one place to go for the nutrients that our soul uh, needs for our life. And this is exactly what Jesus says. He talks about us abiding in him, and he uses the metaphor of vines and branches. That we are the branches, and he is the vine. This is John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. He says, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says we're like branches. You take the branch off the vine and it struggles, it withers, it produces nothing. Paul says that we are like a tree. You take the roots out of the nutrient-rich soil, away from Jesus, away from living water, and the tree struggles and withers and produces nothing that God has for us. Paul says that we are to be rooted in Christ, to put down our tap roots deep into him, to, to spread out our lateral roots in him. And when we do, we will never find the end of his sufficiency and the riches of his nutrients for our soul or his security or his safety or his strength. It is an endless, bottomless, all-sufficient source for everything that we need. So come what may. There's nowhere else for us to go. When we have Jesus, we have everything. So put all your roots, church. Put all your roots down into him. And then it says be built up in him. To be built up like a, like a building or a structure. And, and the word built up, it, it means uh, not just to like, take a bunch of materials and, and, and haphazardly just throw something together for the sake of just putting your hand to something so that you could say that you built something. No, it means to appropriately build upon. And build upon what? The foundation of Jesus that we are rooted into. And then to build upon that in a way that follows a plan, that follows specifications that are pre-designed, predefined. See, in my mind, rooted and built up, they absolutely go together. Because if you, you think about uh, putting our roots down into Christ as something that is not visible, uh, then 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 being built up is the things that are visible uh, from because of what we have placed our roots into. As we soak up the nutrients, as we gather up all the hope and the, and the beauty and everything that Jesus is to us, as we gather these things up in our roots, then we are built up. There is a, a, a visible display of what we are becoming because of who we are planted in. It deepens our love. He strengthens our faith. He brings about a desire for obedience, a desire for us to say yes to our Lord. As we're being built up, it's visible, and we should see it. We should see it in our church, and we certainly do. We should see it in our relationships. We should see it more and more in our community. We should see it more in our, and we should see it in our Bible studies. We should see it in our, in our grow groups. We, 
we should see it in our love that we have for one another. We should see it in the unity that we have for one another. We should see it in our longing for the lost. But apart from him, we can do nothing. So it's got to be built by digging down deep in the soil of Jesus and planting our lives there and then spend the rest of our lives working together and becoming buildings that are worthy of its foundation rooted and built up in him. And then he says established. Established in the faith. Paul uses the word faith in, in more than just one way. Sometimes in his writings, uh, it means to, uh, to trust or to be uh, persuaded. Here in the context, it's very likely that he's talking about faith uh, as a summary of the gospel. Established in the faith, notice, just as you were taught. And we go back to chapter 1, verse 7 of Colossians. It tells us that, that the, the church there was being taught the grace of God in truth. And they learned it from a guy named Epaphras. And Epaphras learned it from a guy named Paul. And the teachings that they were being received, that they were receiving, they were centered around the grace of God and the lordship of Jesus, the person and the work of Christ. This is the gospel. And for every believer, this is the start, isn't it? Confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. This is the start. And Paul is saying, don't think that the basic truth of Jesus that you began with uh, is so simple and, and so rudimentary that you need to graduate to a higher level of learning that, that, that's not grounded and established to the, words, to the person and the work of Christ. Don't think that the basic and simple truth of Jesus that you started with, don't think that it's not enough to continue with for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity, right? In him, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But we can be distracted. We can be deceived. Sometimes our thoughts or our, our feelings can lead us astray. Sometimes our culture just carries us with it and, and draws us in down this river of what the culture and the society and the direction that they're moving. Or, or sometimes it's people around us that we allow to have influence over us. We also have an enemy, the devil, and he wants nothing better than to fool us into thinking that we need something more than Jesus. See, so often, it's not that we think that we need something else instead of Jesus, although unfortunately that does happen. A lot of times with believers, what we can think is that we need something else in addition to Jesus, right? Sure, we need Jesus. Of course we need Jesus. We're going to invest a little bit of time in Jesus. We're going to come to church. We're going to read the Bible. We need Jesus, of course, but, but I need Jesus and. Or this is what the Colossians were being told. This is what the Gnostics were saying, and there's still people in the church today that are saying the same thing, Jesus and, and then fill in the blank. And people have been trying to fill in that blank for a couple of thousand years, and we are really good at it, aren't we, in filling in that blank. And we're really good at justifying it, and we're really good at prioritizing it. Consumerism, entertainment, uh, pleasure, comfort, they call out to us with this, with this loud, consistent voice to follow it, to pursue it, to prioritize it in our lives, Jesus and Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to who? To Christ. That word sincere is also translated simple. 
Don't be led astray from the simplicity and purity and all sufficiency of Jesus. He is everything that we need and there's nowhere else for us to go. He is the one basket that we can put all our eggs into. Everything else will fail. So as we continue to walk in him as Lord, to walk in Christ and we're rooted and we're built up in him, established in the gospel truth, he says that we will abound in thanksgiving. And this will be the last thing that we take a look at. One of the things that this kind of walk will produce in us is thankfulness, and not just a little bit of thankfulness. Verse 7 says abounding or, or, or overflowing with thankfulness, like a, like a river overflowing its banks at flood stage, right? above and beyond type of gratitude, beyond the expected measure. And when you think about it, it doesn't sound very realistic, does it? Considering, considering what the early church was going through and the persecution Undoubtedly, they, they experienced some really dark days back then. And for us, too, I mean, okay, we're not experiencing persecution, at least not yet. But for us, we have dark days, too, don't we? How in the world, in light of the dark days, do we experience thanksgiving? How in the world, considering the difficulties and the challenges of life, do we experience gratitude? How in the world can gratitude overflow in abundance? And the answer is that the source of true gratitude is not of this world. See, the word for thankfulness here in the Greek is eucharistia. And in that word, there's another word, and it's charis. It's embedded in that word. And charis is the Greek word for grace. Literally, the word eucharistia means giving of thanks for God's grace. What motivates true gratitude then is the privilege and the wonder of knowing Christ and his grace. It's not of this world. A thankful spirit then, it, it turns out to be a, a, like a benchmark a, of a focus of a, of a mindset that is set on the greatness of Jesus. We overflow with gratitude when we look up, not down, not in, but up. And we'll get to this in weeks to come, but Colossians chapter 3, in the beginning, it says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Be rooted in him. Be built up in him. Be established and strengthened in the faith. Look to him. Set your minds on him and watch how the river of gratitude overflows its banks in your life. These are four things that will result from continuing to walk in him. And these four things they also pour back into and they support our walk with him as well. Practically though, if we're speaking practically for us today, what does it look like? What does it look like as we, as we leave here to continue to walk in him just as the way that we have received him? Let me just give you two things and then we'll be on our way. First of all, put your roots in the word of God. I can almost hear the eye roll, right? Like, wow, you, you guys talk about this every single week. Like, we heard, we, didn't we hear that last week? Yes, uh, and it's probably worth repeating, right? Because... How can we be rooted in Christ if we don't know him? If we don't know his words and what he has to say, if we don't know his promises or his warnings or his commandments, if you're looking for something practical, I can't think of a better way 
anything more practical to be rooted in Christ than to root yourself in the Word of God, to read it, to meditate on it, to partner up. This is what we're doing, to partner up and, and read it out loud with one another, to read it with each other, to, to speak it into the world around you, to bring it up in conversations, to, to center your schedule around it, to go to it again and again in different ways uh, and, and throughout the day, to return to it again, because in it, we find Jesus. He speaks to us through his word. He points things out to us through his word. So listen to what he has to say. Trust what he has to say and then do what he says. Do what he says. This is walking in him. This is walking in him. To, to live a life, remember, that is appropriate uh, for someone who claims Jesus as Lord do what he says. Psalm chapter 1, this whole thing reminds me of Psalm 1, the very beginning. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's part of his life. Then it says, he or she is like a tree. It's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he or she does, they will prosper. Like a tree planted by streams of water, the law of the Lord. Meditate on it day and night. Go back to it again and again. These are the words that our Lord has spoken to us into humanity. If you've received him as Lord, then humble yourself. I encourage and I pray for you to, to humble yourself before his word and to submit to it. Submit to what the Lord has to say. And so many beliefs that have been around in the church and that are around in this church today are, are from people who have uh, observed something, that, that something appears a, a certain way to them. And they believe it to be true and they feel it to be true. And then they look to scripture and they twist it to match with what they think and how they th see the world around them. Ah, brothers and sisters, come to his word hungry to be informed. Humble yourselves before and let him show you how to walk by faith and not by how things appear. And if you're serious about what we're talking about today, we're talking about continuing in him just as you've received him, then there's a couple of words that you should leave this room with. A couple of words to put in your pocket or, or put in your, your purse or put it on your refrigerator or on the back of your phone or, or on your dashboard of your car or on your mirror. You see where I'm going with this. The words are faith and grace. And write them down as a reminder. Take these two words with you to remember to walk by faith and not by sight. And when we, when we remember faith, let's talk to God about that faith. God, deepen my faith. Inform my faith. Help me to walk by it. And for grace, it should remind us to carry grace with us and, and to look for more of it in our lives, that we are surrounded by it. We are inundated by it. We, we stand in it and we, we remember God's grace. We thank him for his grace. And we should talk to him about it. Don't let me forget your grace. God, please let me, don't depart from it. Help me to see more of it and to thank him again and again for it. My prayer 
with these two words then for our lives, that we would take these words and that we remind ourselves of these words and we would, we would be thinking and pondering and asking our, ourselves questions about, well then, based on faith, what does that mean for my circumstances? What does that mean in my relationships? How do I see the world more right side up based on my faith to see uh, my world more accurately the way God is working and how he's made it? Or by living moment by moment, where can I see God's grace? To be mindful of God's grace every step of the way. To be looking for it, recognizing it, interpreting life through grace and situations through the lens of God's grace. Just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord through faith and by grace, then, then continue with that. And let nothing distract you from Jesus. Let nothing deceive you and take you away from Jesus. We stick with him. We keep walking in him, rooted and built up in him because he is our everything. And there is nowhere else for us to go. When we have Jesus, we have everything. In light of this, therefore, let's stick with him and keep walking in him. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come before you in your presence. Mm. And we bow before you again. We bow before you again as our Lord. And we say that we need you in every single way. We needed you for our salvation. We, needed you, we need you now to become more like you. We need you for our strength and our encouragement. We need your joy in our life. We need you as our living hope. Father, we need you in every single way. So we want to be rooted in you. We want to be built up in you, established on a strong foundation of you and nothing else. We want to put all our eggs in this one basket of Jesus because you will never fail us. And we'll need you until our dying day and then we'll need you for resurrection and we look forward to that day. We hope in it and we rejoice at being able to see you who is the author and the perfecter of our faith and in your name we pray, amen.